Hey, this is Taylor. This is Jake. And this is Dan. And this is Unicorn Finders, where we are on the search to eliminate the elusive unicorn factor in everyday people, businesses, and relationships. Hope you enjoy. Everyone, thank you again for tuning in to Unicorn Finders, where we try to find unicorns in the tech industry. Um, We are very, very excited to have Christopher, Chris Topher, Rathbill today. Um, so, Chris, thank you for joining us. And, John, good morning, man. Thanks for tuning in, too. So, um, yeah, man. So, first off, Chris, tell us about yourself, what you do, and then I'll kick it back to Jake with uh, some uh, very intellectual questions because that's not what I do. I've got some questions. You go. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Thanks, so, um, you know, I'm a software engineer by trade. Uh, I have been doing it as long as I can remember. Um, have jumped from uh, industry to kind of industry and uh, have always been very entrepreneurial as well. So uh, entrepreneurial engineer here. And uh, right now I am with an awesome company, uh, co-founder, CTO of Curement. And Whoop. we are a dental procurement uh, solution. Um, and we're, we're making waves uh, and making it easier for dental organizations to get the supplies they need. Man, I... Uh... I love the name just alone, right? Like that was one of my favorite things. And when I had my aha moment, actually understanding what you guys did and the industry and then the procurement, I was like, oh, it just hit me. Minty fresh and awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was legit. Um, no, yeah. And I'm going to shout out to, to Jay Russ on here too, you know, who's over at Curement as well. Big fan, um, big, big, uh, big help to the community in the Raleigh Durham area and uh, um, a force we reckon with, of course, in the startup space uh, over there as well. So you guys snagged her up and I was like, oh, things are, it's, it's legit. Oh, okay. That's cool. <laughs> um, so shout out to Jay Russ. Um, no, yeah, Chris, yeah. Thanks for joining on to us, Chris. You know, I wanted to talk a little bit about you've got a very unique start to your career that has progressed into where you are now. And I remember we met with three years ago. I wish you did that one project together three years ago. Not, I think yeah. about it. Um, but uh, I remember you telling that story about how you initially got. I don't know, discovered or recruited or what or whatever. And I was kind of like, wait, that doesn't happen. Does that happen? And yeah. I, I just, you know, we've got some some folks that are like looking for their break in that listen yeah. to us. We've got some people that have been there, done that. Either way, I think that that's like a great story. I, I'd love for you to start with that one if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, this is really how I got into tech. It's always been just drawn to it ever, ever since I was a little kid. Um, I think I got my first computer when I was like, 10 or 11 and started programming when I was like 10 or 11. It was almost immediate. Um, And, you know, for me though, my kind of growth in in engineering came when I was addicted to video games. Uh, When I was a teenager, I was just insanely addicted to these massive online multiplayer EverQuest. Nice. Don't know. Nice. Oh man. So I was, I was like deeply addicted to EverQuest and I, I mean, I can honestly say I've probably spent six years of actual play, game time in EverQuest, maybe more, um, of actually playing through my teenage and into college years. And when you play a game that much, you got to keep it interesting. And I got hooked into kind of the reverse engineering video game hacking community when I was about 15 years old and 
really started getting into just taking the game executables, running them through IDA Pro, disassembling them into kind of the x86 assembly, teaching myself how to read x86 assembly and then inject my own code into the video games at runtime so that I can manipulate what the game is doing and create cheats that allow you to run faster, jump higher and that kind of stuff. Um, and I found that like I was actually really good at it. And so I like started a business when I was 15 years old, selling these cheats online to other people who wanted to, you know, beat the system and uh, had awesome. a, a immense amount of success with it because I, I discovered some really like game breaking cheats that I was able to kind of kill things instantly and create items out of thin air. And, you know, at one point in college, I was, uh, I was able to create a currency dupe in uh, EverQuest and yeah. over about three month period was supplying basically every single currency, virtual currency game provider out there and even founded one myself to offload all this duped currency and like had to spin up just distribution 24 seven while I was in college over the summer, like getting people to sell the, uh, the, the currency online we're all around the world. It was, it was, did amazing. you just admit to creating Bitcoin years ago or do we have him right here? This, it's, you know, it, you know it's, it's been something that we've been searching hard and wide for 15 years and here you are admitting it, you know, it, it, it's you funny you say that. It's funny you say that because <laughs> this was like 2010, 2011. I don't, I don't like maybe 2012 at some point around there. Um, I was selling some of these hacks and somebody wanted to pay me 50 Bitcoin when it was worth like pennies. And, 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 and I was like, what is this Bitcoin thing? And I like, yeah. didn't take it. Oh, that oh my gosh. Did, did that Bitcoin thing ever take <laughs> off? Or did, are those 50 coins worth anything or? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. It makes me want to cry now. Like, oh man, I should have just taken it and put it aside. Look, if you would have taken that, you wouldn't have been on this podcast today, right? So it's you know, true. It happens for a reason, and that's definitely that's, it. yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not for you to be a multimillionaire on Bitcoin, but for you to be sitting with us on this Thursday morning. And look, so so Chris, so Chris, what? So, yeah. so you, you just you created all this, you created this, all this stuff, all this currency, whatnot. What led, like, what happened after that? Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was one of those things where it was pretty successful. It was definitely doing way better than, you know, most kids do in their college side job, you know, that kind of thing. And this was my personal internship. Um, and it actually panned out to get me my first break into the, into my first job. And so at the time I was going to university of Tennessee, um, in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, which is about 25 minutes away from Oak Ridge national lab. It's one of the department of energy national labs. Uh, and some of the professors I was working with, uh, you know, talking to them about some of the approaches I was taking to reverse engineering, they were like, if you're interested in this stuff, you should talk with some of the people out at the lab and the, kind of the cyber warfare group. Um, and so they connected me over there and I went over there and told them a little bit about what I was doing with video games and like pretty much on the spot, they were like, do you want a job? Do the same thing that you're doing for video games to malware like reverse engineer it, disassemble it, figure out what it's doing, figure out how to neutralize it, you know, get it running in, you know, uh, virtual environments and, you know, create patches and detection systems for malware. And so like while I was still in school, 
Um, I started my first job at Oak Ridge National Lab, and then they paid for me to get my master's degree in computer engineering. And then they were going to you know, pay for me to get a PhD in computer engineering. And I was kind of going down that track and uh, got all to the end, right up to the point where it was time to do the uh, kind of the dissertation. And I was like, I don't actually want to research or teach. I'm more entrepreneurial. And I kept on going because you were paying for it. And so um, I kind of bailed and didn't finish the PhD. Uh, and it, it, it kind of happened at a time when, you know, around 2000, 10 or 11, the iPhone came out, or I guess 2009, 2008, the iPhone came out, 2009, 2010, I started, uh, I, you know, having never coded an app before, uh, never used a Mac before, went to Best Buy, bought an iPod Touch, bought a MacBook, uh, I bought a uh, iMac and said, you know what, I'm going to get on this app building thing. Um, and so I started doing apps as well on the side and uh, teaching myself kind of how to do apps um, at the time, iOS apps. Um, and so I was kind of doing the, the the lab. And then at night I was going home and I was coding iOS apps and dumping so much time. Um, and then kind of yeah. that, that iOS app uh, stuff turned into something uh, that kind of took me in the next shift in my career. Dang. How do you, if you, you know, it sounds like everything that you have done has really just been out of curiosity, right? You know, if we're talking yeah. to people that are trying to diversify their skill set or or find a Christopher for their company, um, you know, where do you look? Where do you look? Um, and uh, for more from just diversifying their skill set, you know, where do you know to start something like that? Where do you research something like that? Or are you just kind of uh, yeah. looking at things? It's one of those things where I just have always had an immense curiosity. Right. And, and I start pulling on the thread and I, you know, look at things and I'm like, yeah, what can I do with this? And then I, you know, pull it apart, figure out how it works and create something new out of it. Yeah. And I have kind of taken, I wouldn't say like any of the, the, the career path that I've taken has been planned. It's just kind of been one breadcrumb after another that kind of followed my curiosities. Um, and, it, you know, at its core, it's, I think, goes back to just my innate entrepreneurial hunger uh, yeah. and, and my desire to create. So let's go Sorry. into the, let, let, let's go into the question that everyone's wondering. Talk yeah. about, let's talk about cannabis, right? Okay. It's kind of this, you know, it, it's, it, it's this field that a lot of people are interested in, rightfully so. Yep. Yeah. Uh, there is explosion of growth and yep, yep. there's, it's going to be a lot of tech involved. Right. And so what's your background? Tell us, cause, cause, cause you talked about yeah. getting to the next step in your career. I'm assuming that's what this is. That was the next step in your career. Actually, that's like a couple steps down the line. All right. Um, there you go. Yeah. So, you know, to get to the cannabis, you got to kind of follow the rest of the journey. Right. And, um, because it's, it's a journey of starting businesses, succeeding and failing at times, retreating back to a normal job to kind of get that safety and, and that comfort. And then like, once you get your feet grounded again, leaping out again and starting another business. And so it's been kind of a, that cycle. And I, I get this, you know, I get in these, these loops where it's like, go and work for a company. And then I, I guess I get what I call this entrepreneurial sickness. 
And it's that feeling at the, at the center of your gut where you just don't want to be there, no matter how awesome the job is, because you want to yeah. be doing something else. Um, and so like that, my, my, my career has been kind of taking me from place to place based on kind of cycles of trying new things mm. out and then, you know, retreating back to, you know, the, the standard uh, software engineering career. And so while I was at the lab, it was great, like exciting, hacking, reverse engineering, all that kind of stuff. Um, I had this other side thing that I was doing with apps and it was just really fun, right? Like it was new and it was exciting. Um, and I'd spent months and months and months building my first app thinking, oh my gosh, this is the gold rush of mobile apps. And yeah. then, uh, I put my first app out there thinking, oh my gosh, it's going to be great. Put it up for 99 cents and it got no downloads at all, right? Like it was <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and, uh, and so like, I was like, man, these apps suck. And I just spent all this money on an iPod touch and an, and an iMac. And, <laughs> and I'm just going to focus back on you know, Oak Ridge and, and the job. And um, a few months went by and I'm like, ah, you know what, maybe, maybe I did it wrong. Right. And so then I was like, let's do another one. And so I spent like three more months building another app and same exact thing. I put it up and it was nothing. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's such a waste of time. I spent six months building iOS apps and got like 30 downloads total. Um, <laughs> and so I quit making apps again. And, and yeah. And, and so then I went back at it about three months later and I put another three months into building my next thing and it absolutely nailed it like it blew up on the app store it hit number three on the education charts and wow. like it was just a it was a whirlwind like and the Dang. the revenue from it allowed like it was sustained for like six months um and it was a it was a thing where like it was just every month the revenue was growing and growing and growing and it was like oh my gosh this could actually be a like a job, a career. Like I don't necessarily have to stay at the lab. I could actually like leave the lab and do this full time, and it's way more fun. So that's yeah. what I did. And everybody <laughs> told me I was crazy. Like I'm leaving this awesome government job that you know you stay there 25, 30 years, you get a pension and all that stuff to go make apps, right? Yeah. Um, and so after you know about six months of feeling comfortable that this was something that was actually viable, I I took the leap of faith, I jumped, and and I dove into app building full time um for ios and expanded to android and within about two years i'd published 90-ish apps to the different app stores of games and utilities and i created frameworks for building apps that make it faster to develop them and that kind of stuff and i'd figure it out how to monetize them and how to use the success of previous apps to slingshot new apps into the top charts of the app store um, and so like the more apps that I got into the top charts, the more I could leverage the users that were using them to help la launch other apps into the top charts. Mm. Um, and it was just an absolute blast. Probably the, like some of the most fun I've had developing over kind of a two year period. Um, and then kind of just like that, like overnight Apple and, uh, Apple changed their algorithms for how apps are found on the app store. And almost instantly it resulted in like an 80% drop in revenue from my app store. And I was like, holy shit, this is terrifying. Wow. Uh, sorry, language. Um, yeah, go, yeah. You might and, and so, it, it's fine. Yeah, Taylor's dad like, watches, you know, but other than that. Yeah. yeah. It was terrifying. And so then I, I, I tried to make the switch to building business apps and like create apps for companies and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and that was, that was pretty cool. Um, it, it was one of those things where it was just, a whole lot of effort and it, and it was really like it's like a job it was it was contract development at that point 
Yeah. Um, and, and it wasn't always the most fun. Um, yeah. And it wasn't the same as like building the apps for fun, right? Um, I did that for a few years and it was at that time that, you know, the revenue was trying to dry up. I didn't have a new kind of system for, for really, you know, increasing the, the uh, app store revenue. And so I kind of retreated back and got a job at uh, radio systems corporation. And so yeah. um, they are like the number one kind of supplier of pet products in the world. Like they own invisible fence brand uh, and for yeah. hunters like sport dog and, and pet safe. Um, and I came on their team and, and kind of uh, led their kind of the, their mobile connected IOT uh, team um, and, and helped them bring to market kind of two smart connected pet products. Um, one was a pet feeder and the other was a, a Bluetooth controlled dog collar. Um, and that was a big challenge. That was a big challenge. So let me ask you this, yeah. Chris. So, so you, you just said so much good information, and obviously yeah. we have a limited amount of time, so we can't break apart everything. But let me ask you this: for the individuals, yeah, who have built something, who have built something, who have built something, who have continued to fail, who continue to fail, who yeah. continue to fail, yeah. What what's what's your kind of like main advice, right? So let's say I come to you today, oh, like man. Chris, man, I built yeah. so much, like I'm at my wits' end. What would you say to the people who are watching, who are in that same position? Oh, I know exactly what I'd say. Um, good, good. good. <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things where, oh, like, <laughs> so it, it, if you are building your own kind of apps or businesses or or whatnot, and you're technically minded, you know, a lot of people who found companies come from kind of a sales or marketing background, and they don't have the technical expertise uh, or a product background. Um, and then, you know, there are some, you know, founders of companies who come from a technical background and the ones who are like founding companies that are non-technical, you know, they always wish, you know, man, I wish I could code this thing. Like, I, I wish I had a little bit of technical skills and, and whatnot. Yeah. And, I, and then I can go build this or I could, I could prototype this, that kind of thing. Um, that's not the case for the ones who are like technical and then, and, and the kind of engineers who could go build the thing. I would almost say having the technical capabilities is a disadvantage because as an engineer, you're immediately in solution space. And so like the answer is not always just go build the thing. And that was something that I like, when I look back at the times where I've invested tons and tons of time and resources and, and energy into building something that failed, it was usually because I didn't do the legwork up front to really validate the idea. Yeah. I didn't spend time exploring the problem space. I just got so amped up and excited about the solution and the thing that I could build that I jumped in and built it immediately. Yep. And, and that's, that's a thing that I think any technical entrepreneur has to deal with. They have to, 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 to suppress that natural inclination to solve the problem before they've actually understood the problem. Um, and that's the advice I give there is just really explore the solution space, talk to who you potential users are, identify who, what your target market is ahead of time and like find a, a core group of people that you could bounce things off of that are your target market. And then always kind of look for others that you can expand to that can validate future iterations of what you're building. I'm going to um, quote yourself back to yourself. Cause that was a really yeah. good nugget. The, you have to suppress the desire to solve the problem before you fully understand the problem. Mm -hmm. like yeah. That, 
Yeah, that's, yeah, I think I need that in the rest of my life anyway, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like, that's, that's a good, that's a good nugget on there too. Um, wow. I mean, we, you know, with, uh, how is that right? So right now, I don't yeah. know. Do we skip, do we skip cannabis? cannabis we'll, we'll get there. Experiment? Yeah, well, we'll get there, Jake. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, you know, Chris, I've got a, I've got a question. Uh, I want to jump yeah. in here real quick because I think it's so you, you've said a lot of good nuggets uh, and you've gone through so many different no things. You, you, you were in the video game world and then you were in the corporate world and then you got into building apps and then you went back into the corporate world. How do you keep that I guess that fervor and that desire to understand the problem before the solution, when it seems like so many businesses, when you go back into corporate America are so focused on immediately finding a solution in a business model where, Hey, we need something done in three months or six months. How do you transition, you know, your thought process and bring that into the teams and companies you work for? Oh, that's a, that's a tough question to answer because it really on the hot seat. (laughs) <laughs> it really depends so much on kind of the, the situation that you're in and, and kind of uh, the nuances of the, the business or the, the thing you're going into. Um, you know, if you're you know, on your own and you're trying to prove something out before you scale it or before you bring anybody into it, then it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you go as fast as, as you, know, you dictate, Right. Um, and and you can control, hey, this is a side project I want to do, but before I jump in and build this new social media app, let me let me go spend some time really seeing what what are what is making these other ones successful and you know that kind of thing. You have control over that. Now when you are kind of working with an early stage startup and you know the everything you do, is critical because you could potentially like make a wrong decision and, you know, most startups fail, Um, you know, early, early stage, you kind of just need to have a a good understanding of the problem space, I think kind of going in and you gotta, you gotta use that for as long as you can and, and, and focus on, you know, building that out and creating that core product that then you can kind of shift the focus to more of a product focus and, and an iterative focus. When you're in a mid, mid, middle, you know, to large size company, it's really, really hard because you're entrenched in kind of corporate, you know, bureaucracy, established ways that we've always done things. And in those types of cases, if you want to kind of shake things up, you got to typically propose some sort of like, you know, innovation team or some sort of startup team within the organization so that you can create that buffer layer that's insulated from the the rest of the company and the way they've traditionally done things in order to create this innovative environment in an organization that maybe put innovation to the side just so that they can protect what they've achieved. And so it kind of depends on where you are within, you know, a company um, and, and the approach that you take. <clears throat> so go yeah go for it now let's get into your journey with cannabis i'm just fascinated i know i'm pushing it right i know i'm pushing it i just we're, i haven't talked to anybody there. i haven't talked yeah, to we're not there yet taylor we only have like almost there we gotta go in yeah we gotta go in we gotta go in we got yeah. 10 minutes try to All keep right, it so, short relatively so I'll, 
I'll kind of fast forward. Uh, I'm sorry. I thought I had an hour. So uh, no, let fine. me just keep talking. I'll, just keep talking. I'll, I'll let me, let around. me, let me go into it. So um, kind of coming out, I left, I left radio systems to kind of create my own company. I was, I needed my own company. And at this time it was a dev shop. It was uh, doing development work for other organizations. Um, and my best friend is a, patent attorney, and he connected me up with some of his customers who are working in the cannabis space. And they're doing some really innovative stuff with cannabis um, and commercial grows in, in California and you know in different states out west. Uh, and then also some of the states here on the East Coast where it's legal both recreationally and, uh, and uh, for medical purposes. Um, and their big challenge was that they really wanted to, they, they were scientists. And they really wanted to uh, create a way to convey the chemical properties and, and the effects on the body and stuff like that in, in kind of layman's terms. They wanted, they, they wanted to figure out how to take the, the raw uh, information about cannabinoids and around terpenes and different things and, and kind of translate, what does this mean in terms of relaxation, focus, and kind of make it easy for people to understand. And at the same time, they're running into scaling issues with their actual operations of their growth. They were expanding and growing. Um, and so they kind of, we got to talking and it started out as just a, you know, can you help us visualize, create a visualization for some of our data? And then, you know, we started work, I started working with them and, and my, my, my dev shop really had a very specific focus. Instead of going out and doing small project here and there, I was trying to take on two, three long-term relationships and, and kind of manage those and build partnerships over many, many years um, so that I could have the stability to bring in staff to help me build these systems out. And so uh, I got in and started exploring and talking with them about kind of how they, how they run their processes, everything that goes into, you know, choosing seeds and planting them and growing them and mm. harvesting them and, you know, and, and, then modifying what you've grown to, you know, create a derivative product that might be a vape pen or an edible and things along those lines. I learned all about the science and you know, embarked on this kind of discovery that was very, very like customer development. Like I was like an external internal member of their team. And, and it was really, really critical to kind of how they were doing. And we really built a software around their entire processes, uh, their internal processes. Uh, that way they could, you know, they had the realization, look, cannabis is sweeping the country. It's sweeping the nation. It's taking, it, it's, it's going to blow up. More yeah. and more states are legalizing. It's just a matter of time before, you know, it's federally legal. And, you know, when the businesses open up all over the place, it's going to become largely commoditized. And it's going to be the organizations that have their operations in order that can actually predict, you know, the, the, the volumes that they have measure the amounts that they have. And it's, beca it became a business, right? Like it's not just, you know, growing, you know, growing, you know, weed in your backyard. It's, it's, it's actually like, you know, how do we optimize the output of the, you know, of these different, uh, you know, uh, cultivars that are, that are being grown and things like that. Um, and so I kind of helped them softwareize all of that. Hmm. And I did it at the right time too. Um, and and in the awesome. process, I became very knowledgeable about kind of the whole process. Um, but when I say at the right time, it's also came at a time where like, as more and more states were legalizing it, it came with regulation. 
It's not just, oh, let's go, it's legal, let's go grow it now. It's, it's, you know, it's taxed, it's heavily taxed. And, you know, if it's taxed, they need to know how much are you growing? How much are you selling? That kind of stuff. And there's a few main players in the regulatory kind of compliance uh, market for cannabis. And, and at this point, there's really only one player and that's metric. Um, and, and metrics business model is basically, you know, they went to the governments and, uh, and they're like, Hey, you can use our tracking software for free. Yeah. Doesn't cost your government anything. Um, it costs the, the people who are growing, uh, they have to buy tags, special RFID tags and put mm. them on plants mm. and they buy those from us and they can only buy our tags and then they're registered and they have to buy lots of them. And so every plant has a you know 25 cent tag on it. Every package has a 45 cent tag on it. And then they, you know, kind of pass that cost on to the growers. And because they were the only one approaching government agencies with uh, a, a business model that was free for the uh, government, they, they won like, all the contracts at this point, I think they're in like 30 something states and they've, wow. they've completely taken over the regulatory market. And so we already had a digital tracking system. And so we had to integrate with metrics so that all the data we were generating to kind of run the, the pipeline was being passed over to, uh, to the metric regulatory compliance stuff on the back end automatically. Um, and in doing so, I got to learn an absolute ton about regulatory compliance with cannabis and all that kind of stuff. Dang, I'm looking at I'm looking at it right now. Um, supporting the will to regulate. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. All right, what's what's so, if I'm gonna go in invest in the cannabis tech right now? <laughs> where should I yeah. go? I, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you that. I, no I can talk about cannabis technology, but I'm not gonna make recommendations on who to invest yeah. in. All right, who are Just you investing? Keep investing in GameStop, Jake. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just pick one and then hop on Reddit and, yeah, and just start speaking up and talking it up a little bit and you'll be good to go. Yeah. Just roar like a kitty. Yeah. <laughs> so Chris, I want to ask you, obviously it's a, it's a business that is still figuring itself out from a compliance perspective. It's still not legal in every state. It's still federally illegal. Um, yep. How did you guys get around a lot of the barriers and figure out, what your place in that market would be and navigate rules that are literally either didn't exist or were changing, you know, daily, oh, weekly, was, monthly. It was absolutely challenging and difficult. Yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's, it's part of what drove me out of the business, like mm. working with the regulatory compliance bodies and all of that kind of stuff. It just, and, and the rules and the APIs that change without notice and instantaneously make your whole system break and that kind of stuff. Like, it, it has not, it was not a fun experience. Integrating with metric was not great. It was actually pretty terrible. Their system mm. was built on cold fusion. It's ancient. It wasn't built for cannabis. Nice. They like, they like, you know, basically Gross. modified it midstream to make it work for cannabis. And, and, you know, it's just, it was terrible. It was dreadfully slow. They, you know, they had to do crazy hacks to make things even functional. And then they'd change the API up on you without much notice. And it was just a complete nightmare to, to maintain out, and work with. Shout out all of our cold fusion viewers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you run the cold fusion meetup, right, Dan? Yeah. Uh, yeah that one in the web forms one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd love to talk a little bit about Curement if we have time. We're here. Yeah. Let's we'd love it. to. Let's go. So, you know, after after cannabis, a few years, you know, I, I 
got this, you know, I was definitely still doing work for others, you know, service-based work. And if you're an entrepreneur running a dev shop, I'm speaking to you right now, you've got that hunger to build a product-based startup and devote like some 10% of your time towards it. And you think that that's going to work. It's not going to work. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the amount of success stories from there are very, very far and few between. I'm not saying they don't exist. It's just, it takes 200% of your effort to build a successful startup. And if you're just giving it 10 or 20% while you're trying to support your other clients, it's not going to work. Uh, I ultimately like ended up leaving the dev shop, shutting it down, kind of winding down all the contracts. And I wanted to build a product-based startup, something that I had a stake in, something that I, that I, uh, had ownership in, and I was going down the path of of trying to figure out what that looked like for myself. Um, I, I knew that I wanted to do it in this kind of customer product led way. I wanted to explore this uh, the the problem space, really validate it before I jumped in and started building. And I committed to myself, I'm not going to build anything until I have you know at least six months to a year of firm understanding on a problem space. Um, and and so I started diving into like. The real estate industry and thinking maybe that's where i was going to go that's when i met my co-founder who was working out of american underground brandon mccarty uh, and he came to me and he's like chris let me tell you why dental procurement is the most exciting industry ever it's even better than cannabis get and high I was like get high Ooh. oh man oh, okay. uh, <laughs> um and <laughs> And at first I was like, all right, you know, maybe I can help him figure out what he needs and, and you know, get him situated on a technology path. Um, and he, uh, you know, the more and more he told me about it, what he was doing, the, the problem he was uh, solving, and the more I learned about Brandon, the more I realized, holy crap, here is a person who's building a startup the right way. He had spent a year to a year and a half exploring the dental industry going into dental organizations, talking with every single person from top to bottom, from CEO to CTO to CFO, to you know the dental office assistants, to the office managers, everybody all the way along the way, and just talk to them about their challenges and their problems. He helped them optimize some of their internal uh, kind of workflows and, and did audits of their kind of dental organizations and became an, an expert on uh, you know, dental support organizations and the dental industry. And before he ever built anything, it was a year and a half in and he had validated his problem. And then he threw together an MVP that attempted to solve some of these problems and it like sold like hotcakes. People loved it. He sold a whole bunch of them and, 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 and even was able to sell up front uh, to a large organization uh, the, the, you know, a full year in advance uh, to 120, 130 different dental organizations up front. Um, and so then the challenge came to be onboarding all of those. And he had real scale issues with his technology because he was running his, his, his MVP off of Drupal. And it was a Drupal e-commerce kind of uh, website. And, and he kind of had a multi-site system, but like basically every single dental office that, was, uh, that he had, he had to log in and update the you know the catalogs on all of them. If you wanted to change images, they belong into all of these different instances. And it just had no scale at all. Um, and and so right in front of me, I had an opportunity to jump in and do what I love doing, and that's build awesome products in a space that's already been validated and and already has paying customers. Um, and I was still a little like apprehensive because I was like, man, I have to like work off of Drupal. This is this is not going to be great. Um, <laughs> Sorry, per personal preference here, right? No, no, no. Um, we're not offended. 
what sold me was he said, it's Greenfield. You know, build whatever the next version of this platform. You choose the technologies. You choose you know, where we're going with it. Start from scratch. Um, you know, this was an MVP, and I meant it to be an MVP. And when he said that, I was sold. Um, and, and so I got started. Uh, and you know, basically, we grinded away for about three or four months and launched our first version of the procurement that wasn't the MVP that had scale built to it. It started initially as a, for the first version, as a tool to kind of manage the Drupal instances. Yes. It was a centralized data catalog, and then it exported data in a Drupal SQL format. Um, after that, we added more and more services onto it until we finally launched the V1 non-MVP version in January of 2020, um, mm. just before COVID hit. And, and yeah, perfect everything's kind of got, you know, perfect timing, right? Um, <laughs> We, Everyone realized how mad their breath was, right? Yeah, like, you know, because masks had I'm going to go to the dentist. <laughs> yeah, um, and and you know, we the the new version was a big success. People loved it, and you know, at that point in time, we went we raised a series uh, seed round from co-founders capital here in the triangle, yep. uh, and we've used that raise to to grow the team. At that point, around. you guys were the biggest raise, biggest um, investment they had ever made. Right. Close to it, yeah, yeah. Close yeah, to not it. a big um, deal. Not and, a big deal. <laughs> yeah. And we've we've grown the team uh, to about thirteen now. We're, wow. you know, we're growing month over month, hitting all of our numbers. The the amount of kind of spend flowing through the platform uh, is 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 growing month over month, and and we've we're starting to get the attention. Not starting. We've gotten the attention of some very very large dental organizations, and uh, have closed some big customers lately. Um, and are looking to grow and scale our team even more. Um, around Please, October, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I just have a quick question. I, I want to hear the rest of the story here in a second, but you, you announced that you, you know, rolled out your new product in January and then COVID comes in March and a lot of your doctor's offices were only taking emergencies. A lot of your dental offices were only taking emergencies, you know, at least for a few months here in Florida, like we didn't act, ever act like COVID existed, but for most of America, right? Um, what was that? What was that like? I mean, you, you get hit with something completely out of your control that completely changes the business that you guys are in. Probably, you know, didn't let you guys get the revenues that you wanted, or certainly, you know, maybe the order flow that you guys were anticipating. What was it like getting through that, knowing yeah. again an unknown of how long COVID is going to last? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely challenging, but it was more challenging for the dental organizations, I'm sure. Mm. You know, so there was about a two month period, April, May. You know, maybe a little bit longer than that. We're just like everything kind of shut down completely. Yeah. And nobody was buying any dental supplies. There was a lot of uncertainty. And then coming out of that, the biggest curveball the industry took was supplying their PPE, you know, the, the, the personal yeah. protective equipment and, and getting it. And even still, it's a challenge. Uh, and, 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 you know, one of the things that was really great is we had some, you know, some good relationships with suppliers and vendors. And we've been partnering with these dental organizations to help them navigate kind of PPE challenges that occur. Um, oh, that's cool. And so, and so I, I think it's, it did a couple of things. Like at first it was kind of, uh Oh, right. Like, you know, this is kind of, they're not buying and, and, you know, but things kind of changed. Right. And the, the, as the dental organizations adapted to the new norm, so did Curement and, you know, we became good partners with the dental organizations and with the suppliers to try to help bridge that PPE gap as much as we could. That's awesome. So cool. So, 
Um, so where are you guys at yeah. now? Like what's, what's next for you guys? You have a bunch of money. COVID yeah. seems to be going down. Um, people are back and, uh, you know, getting their teeth cleaned, um, getting yeah. fillings done. Um, I mean, what's yeah. very good. What is, um, what's next for you guys? What's your, what's your journey and your path? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, around October, November of last year, it became clear to me that the way we were building, and this touches back on the question you answered, you asked earlier, Dan, about like, you know, how do you get started when there's business demands and things like that? Um, around, you know, October, November, coming into the new year of this year, we, we realized that our engineering team is getting burned out. And that we were just been grinding so hard building the solutions that we kind of, you know, identified from the very, very beginning and going down that path. Um, you know, we were an agile shop, uh, you know, building, running two week sprints and then the typical kind of what you, ex you know, what you hear, what you think about when you think of an agile shop these days, you know, which is really more of a scrummer fall type shop. Um, and <laughs> And we were falling right into that pattern, right? Where we were just like, you know, product was, you know, kind of, you know, writing some user stories and tossing it over the fence to engineering. And then we're going building and, and building things. And, um, and we were just constantly pushing, pushing the boundaries on that. Um, and, you know, I realized, you know, that something's got to change here. I think it's, I could feel it coming in the company that it was no longer the time to be you know, running off of that, that customer initial problem discovery, we needed to make that shift into a product led company. Um, and, and so with, you know, the, the, the support of my, of my team, you know, Jay Ross, Brandon, Brad Springer, um, and, and others, we've been transitioning the company into a product led company, which starts with your goals, it starts with your outcomes, the changes in behavior you want to make in the product. We've shifted how we run our engineering teams uh, to be more kind of cross-functional empowered teams where the, the teams are, you know, we, we set them loose on a problem. We let them discover the solution space for it and, and, and really analyze the problem space. We got engineers sitting in on customer calls, observing, so we, you know, so critical to how we're working. So critical. And, yeah. and, and, and that shift has meant we've developed less code, but the things that we're developing are the right things. So and there it is. That was it. That's it. That's, That's it. it. And, done. Thank it's, you for tuning it's in. A great run. You've, you've hit. You've hit the high point. No pun intended about marijuana. You know. <laughs> and so, the next steps, we're looking to expand our team. Who do you, you need? Know, we we, we need a uh, we need a senior engineer. We have. We have uh, a couple engineering positions open. We have a couple okay. product positions open on our what we call our mission teams. Um, you know, our, our mission teams are a team of product design engineering. Uh, four mm. engineers is our ideal for a for a mission team. Mm. Um, we're looking to build out uh, our mission teams. We have two, like I said, two product manager positions open at the moment. Yeah. Uh, we have two engineering positions open at the moment, a senior engineer, mid-level engineer. All of our engineers at the moment are full stack. Our our tech stack oh, is tech React. Now? Sorry. Do what? <laughs> I was just asking yeah. what you have to answer. What's the tech now? Yeah. Our, our, our tech stack is React front end, uh, talking to a GraphQL API. Uh, and then at the moment, we've got uh, a Laravel PHP backend that uh, is, is uh, connected with... Uh, uh, that we've been kind of creating more microservices uh, off of as of lately. Um, and we are looking at this point to kind of see where the next 
next phases on scaling this out because we're starting to get a, a decent user load in there. Um, we have, I, I anticipate us over the course of the next year, probably looking to uh, bring on about 10 more engineers. Um, and so we have some, some pretty, pretty awesome growth plans ahead of us in terms of uh, engineering. And so if you are an engineer who is tired of sitting in your dev shop and tired of pushing features all day long, and you want to be involved in the conversation of discovery, you want to be involved in the product conversations about you know, figuring out what's going on, and you don't want to you know, wait for the ceremonial um, you know, sprint planning that you, know, you get a transfer of knowledge information with you know, where you're mi missing gaps and you wanna just be in the conversation the entire time and then you wanna build it out and then you wanna track and, and optimize it. You know, yeah. come, go to curement.io, go to careers, we wanna have you. Um, you know, it, it, it requires engineers that have you know, that, that kind of personal uh, you know, communication skills um, that you know, if, you wanna, if you just wanna sit in a corner and code, we're probably not the right place for you. Yeah. Um, because I, I definitely want engineers involved in the whole process. I think it's absolutely critical to our ongoing success. Um, but we'd love to have you, and I'd love to chat with you. Chris, hey, I got we, a PHP Laravel guy, senior, looking for work. Love it. Love it. Hmm. He's out in Nashville. Awesome. Hey, yeah, you take anyone up and down East Coast? Yeah, so, you know, that's, you know, I think COVID has kind of made us realize that a hybrid model is, is how we're going to go, I think, going forward. Um, for me, it's just, you know, we, we do work East Coast hours. And so we kind of, you know, we have some daily ceremonies and things we able to do. So if you can participate in those, I don't really care where you live. Yeah, but um, Chris, I want to ask you a question and you kind of touched on it a little bit um, with Evan's question. But how when you're building and you've built a lot of companies, you've built teams, you've built products. How do you determine which tech to use and, and how do you then grow with that tech or decide that there it's time for new tech? I mean, obviously there's some cost constraints at the beginning with some, but how do yeah. you then determine, Hey, we're so far entrenched with, you know, PHP Laravel. How do we make that move? Or, Hey, we realize that this Python stuff that we're doing just doesn't scale yeah. the way we want, or, Hey, we, don't want to do whatever you know what i'm getting at i don't need any more examples i'll, I'll add one more fantastic on. question yeah I'll go ahead Drake. one more flavor onto that we because we talked to a lot of founders that try to do something shiny or stupid at the beginning and they pick tech and they cannot find talent to fill it afterwards it's called resume driven mm -hmm. development it's a real thing, one man. of my developers told me that it's resume yeah. driven development yeah and uh, yeah, i love it so I think you, there are so many amazing technical solutions and choosing the right one really depends on kind of where you're at in your startup journey and where, you know, what, what skills and, and, and uh, abilities you have, you know, right now. I've been doing Laravel development myself since about 2010. Um, and so it was a very natural kind of pick first go, but also the thing that really, really got me sold on instead of going Node.js on our back end, you know, I knew I wanted to use GraphQL. Um, the choice, you know, came down to, especially early on, how quickly can I get this up and running? And I found this amazing GraphQL package for Laravel called Lighthouse PHP that mm. uh, had a bunch of, uh, of, of tools uh, and, and uh, kind of custom resolvers kind of built into it. So I could get, you know, build my, I, I basically, the, the beginning of the app was just focused on the React front end. And I didn't have to do much. I just 
created a database and bound the resolvers to the database, and I was able to get on very, very quickly. And so I chose the Laravel in the beginning to get up quickly, um, and and it was based on our need to to make to make moves with the technology quickly for the startup. And so it was the right balance for where we were as a startup. Um, and then, you know, to me at that point, it falls back to good architecture. You know, mm. I've heard good architecture described as delaying the need to make decisions as long as possible. And if you can do that, you've, you've got a pretty good architecture. Um, and, and so, you know, we have kind of taken that mindset and that approach and, and really, and at the moment, we're looking to scale it, right? How are we going to scale it? Well, we've been pushing more and more stuff into background services, um, background jobs, anything that goes out over email, all the orders that get placed procurement, all kinds of different things are now happening in background jobs. And we have queues and queues listeners and schedulers that are kind of mitigating the work across different servers and things like that. I think, you know, with any technology or, or language choice you make, if you have good architecture, you can scale it. Hmm. That's awesome, dude. I'm all out of questions. You've, you've, yeah, you crushed it, Chris. I appreciate it, me That I want to pick up tech and learn how to do whatever you do but i'm not smart enough oh, we'll figure it out you know <laughs> how to use the google machine <laughs> oh god um well man like that this was great you know we got a lot of yeah. like, we got a lot of good nuggets on there and i'm going to keep saying nuggets for obvious reasons and um mm. uh, excited to share we'll share your um oh there's j j you missed my shout out I'm glad that you're on here. Yeah. Um, the uh, that's, that's the happiest picture I've ever seen of somebody in my life. And yeah, I love that, that was picture. a great Jayra. headshot. That Everybody is your that. man smiles that that's way. Jayra. That's it. That's that's her. Yeah. Through I and through. That. I want to be friends with Jay Russ. She's yeah. awesome. Um, no, yeah. We'll share your careers page, you know, yeah. from, for us yeah. um, for sure. And really thank you so much for coming on, taking the time yeah. out of the day, even with limited resources internally. And I'm sure it hurts to not be coding right now or architecting or hiring or something, but this is good, good building block stuff too. So hopefully it pays for you guys. Jake, I want to, I want to comment on that real fast. Um, yeah. Kind of my role as CTO, the way I look at it is to build teams. And yeah. the way I do that is by doing stuff like this and by, you know, connecting and building, you know, the company brand and the personal brand and that kind of stuff and making those connections. This is some of the most important stuff right here in this yeah. conversation to, 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 to get that word out there that we're looking for, for development talent. And so, you know, I will, I will sit on here all day long and, you know, twice on Tuesday uh, to, to kind of get our word out there and that message out there. I, love that's awesome. I mean, that's because we're unicorn finders, right? It's, it's, it's us. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I get no, it. No, I, I meant ex specifically this, this podcast. Oh, good. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just, right. just, just, just this one. This yeah. is the first time he's been on one first and last. <laughs> well, man, it was, it was a pleasure. Yeah. You, you have a killer day. Be yep. sure to um, reach out to Cure Mint y'all um, and uh, follow them doing cool yeah. stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll follow see all the unicorn finders. Yes. Yes, please follow us. Yeah. We've got some more great guests. And we've had some awesome guests too in the past and recent past. So yeah, definitely check it out. So Chris, thanks for thanks for coming on, buddy. We appreciate you. Thank you all. All right. We appreciate all it. Right. Talk to you soon. Go get Thank y'all so much for tuning in to this episode of the Unicorn Finders. 
If you found any of that interesting or helpful at all, please share it with your friends. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or want to be a part of our podcast, be sure to email us at info at theunicornfinders.com. And while you're at it, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe us five stars and share it with a friend or two. We'll see you next week.